Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Dore. Thank you for joining us. Before I dive in, I'll do what I do every single week for our friends in the compliance department and just remind you that what you're about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice or in the case of today's podcast, tax advice. I would encourage you to talk to your investment advisor or your tax advisor, but certainly if you have any questions that we can answer for you, we'd be happy to discuss. So with that, let's dive in. In case anyone thought that we would slowly ease into 2023, The market and the news and Washington, D.C. said not so fast last week. There's a lot going on, and between the latest jobs report and the battle over the new Speaker of the House, uh, much of that has the potential to impact the markets over the next couple of weeks and months. But before I dive into those topics, I do want to take a moment and talk about a few financial planning issues. We're going to try to do more of that this year because I felt like we spent so much time on the Fed and inflation and interest rates and the economy that sometimes we have to come back and focus on some of the just more core and important things that matter to investors in terms of operationally, how are you handling getting to retirement and how are you handling things once you're in retirement? So I want to address a couple things this week that are going to be important for all investors, but especially Especially some of our investors in Iowa, where we're located. A lot of you listening to this podcast are listening in Iowa, so there's some Iowa-specific stuff I want to address as well. First of all, I want to talk about Secure Act 2.0. We have talked about this before. I did a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago, but it is now law. So let's just dive into a couple of the highlights here so that you are paying attention to it as we go into the new year. First of all, they did change the date at which required minimum distributions are going to start in IRA accounts. So you may recall that the Trump administration and Congress raised that number from 70 and a half to 72 a couple of years ago. In Secure 2.0, they have changed that again. They have ramped it up. So if you are already 72, you're stuck with that 72 date. But if you turn 73 at any point in 2023 or later, your RMD age is now 73. But stretching this all the way out a decade from now, in 2033, so if you were born in 1958 or later, if you turn 75 in 2023 or after that, your RMD age will now be 75. So that is important when you think about your retirement planning. They also changed the way RMD works for Roth 401k accounts. So there was a discrepancy. Roth IRA accounts, so remember, these are accounts that you've already paid the taxes on and you won't pay further taxes. Roth IRA accounts, there has never been a required minimum distribution. You could leave that money in there until you died. But in Roth 401k accounts, there was a required minimum distribution. Congress has now changed that and trued up the difference between IRAs and 401ks for Roth accounts. There will be no RMDs for Roth 401ks. 
Additionally, they changed RMD penalties. I hope none of you have ever experienced this. If you're a client of Insight Wealth Group, we work very, very hard to make sure you do not forget to take your RMD. But if you do, in the past, the penalty was a 50% penalty. So let's say that you had a $50,000 RMD due and you forgot to take it, you would owe a tax penalty of $25,000 to the IRS. That's a big deal. So they changed that law. They reduced that penalty from 50% to 25% and then reduced it even further to 10% if the, quote, error was corrected in a timely manner. We don't know what timely manner means yet, but it is a good sign. So for those of you at Insight, we'll continue to work with you to make sure it's not an issue. But if you do make an honest mistake, the penalty for making that mistake just got a heck of a lot less. And then the final point I want to make, there's a lot to go through in this legislation, but the final one we'll tackle today is that they did create some portability for 529 plans. One of the concerns I hear from clients a lot is what happens to our 529 money if we don't spend it all on education expenses? Well, Congress has supplied a partial fix for this. Going forward, any 529 plan that has been funded for at least 15 years will now be eligible to roll the funds into a Roth IRA. However, there is an aggregate lifetime limit per beneficiary of $35,000 that can be rolled into a Roth IRA. But that's a nice tool and something that gives us a little bit of confidence about what we can do with those funds after maybe our kids are done with college. There's a lot more in this bill, as I mentioned, especially if you're a business owner or the sponsor of a 401k. We'd be happy to talk through that with you individually. But those are a few important points that we wanted to get out there as we head into the new tax year. And then additionally, this is our my moment for my Iowa clients here and, and for those who are local. There have been some pretty significant tax law changes in our state. So if you don't live in Iowa, God's country, as we will call it, Uh, You can ignore this section, but for those of you in Iowa, I'll make this very quick for what's going to happen this year. First of all, your income tax rate is going to go down this year. We all know that between now and 2026, the goal is to get to a 3.9% flat income tax rate in the state of Iowa. But this year, the top income tax bracket in Iowa is going to drop from 8.3% to 6.0%. So that will be a nice little benefit for our Iowa clients. Additionally, 2023 is the year that retirement benefits become tax-free for our Iowa residents. It's a pretty significant boost for retirees in Iowa. So if you're over the age of 55 and you're taking any distributions from a retirement plan, so that'd be an IRA, a 401k, a 403b, a pension fund, an ESOP, any of those benefits now become Iowa income tax-free. So that's a pretty big deal. And then additionally, for our Iowa clients who maybe are retired farmers or own farmland, if you're no longer actively farming the land, but are generating income from the farm, typically through lease income, and you're over age 55, that income is also going to become tax-free. So it's a pretty big deal for our Iowa clients that are over age 55. Would encourage you to reach out to your tax advisor to figure out how this might affect you. As always, our friends at Insight CPA, Scott Manhart and his team would be happy to address this with folks as well. So let's move on to the other big issues of the week because I think there were really two. The first was the speaker battle. We all watched 
this process happen. It was finally Saturday morning in the early hours, I believe on the 15th or 16th ballot, that Kevin McCarthy was elected as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. A much debate can be had on this topic. I am certainly not here to talk about politics, but I do think we need to understand what this battle in the House of Representatives may mean for your portfolio. Because we all knew heading into this year that a divided Congress, which is what we have, Democrats in control of the Senate, Republicans in control of the House, Democrats in control of the White House. Anytime we have divided government, that has significantly lessened the legislation moving to the president's desk. And as far as the market is concerned, it's historically been a pretty good thing. Anytime Washington's not getting anything done to change the rules of the game, the market has enjoyed that. But I think what's notable about the speaker's battle is that the division in Congress just became noticeably more pronounced. Love it or not, and I know there are some of you listening to this that love it, and I know there are some of you that are listening to this that hate it, but the four-day battle to elect Speaker McCarthy produced a number of concessions to the House Freedom Caucus that are going to make it more difficult for the House and the Senate to pass bipartisan legislation. The list of those supposed concessions is long. Some of them won't be hashed out for a while, but they include things like membership on the House Rules Committee, changes in how many members it takes to call for the hiring of the Speaker, how appropriation bills are handled. There's a whole lot of things happening there. But there is one concession that causes me and our team here a little bit of concern. How is the debt ceiling going to be handled? It's widely understood that the Freedom Caucus demanded and McCarthy conceded that there would be no increase in the debt ceiling without cuts to future spending. Now, I understand that motivation. Our $32 trillion in federal debt is unsustainable. And by the way, it's a number that's up over 50% from before COVID. But we've talked about this before, and I want to reiterate it. The debt ceiling is about spending already agreed to, an area where Republicans are just as guilty as Democrats. The debt ceiling is a question of, will the Treasury Department be allowed to borrow the money necessary to pay the bills that Congress has saddled them with? I understand everything in Washington is about leverage, and the debt ceiling extension does give conservatives leverage to negotiate for what they want future spending cuts. But the risk of not extending the debt ceiling, it's twofold, and I think it's important to understand. The first risk is that we'll shut down the federal government. Okay, we've done that before. I'm certain we'll do it again. It will have a short-term impact on people's lives and the economy. Given the debt ceiling is about to expire in the middle of the year, right now the Treasury Department estimates it'll happen sometime in June or July, that is going to be happening right about the time that economists are worrying about a slowdown of the economy because of the increases in interest rates we've seen. It would not be an ideal time to shut the government down, but it also probably wouldn't drastically change the economic outcome for this year. The second risk, though, I think is much more important, and that's an impact to the credit rating of the United States. The one constant for the last 247 years has been that the full faith and credit of the United States means something. We're basically, you know, we're the Lannisters from Game of Thrones, right? America always pays its debts. If that changes and we don't pay our debts, and that forces a change in our credit rating, the cost of the $32 trillion in debt we already have is going to get much, much more expensive. Treasuries, look at them. Treasuries are really pretty cheap debt. They're very cheap debt because everyone knows that you can invest in the United States debt 
and you're always going to get paid. It's significantly more risk. If all of a sudden we have to pay more to borrow that money, it's going to be a pretty serious impact on the United States economy. So let's hope that Congress is adult enough not to play games with this and to do their job. But yeah, I'm sure that probably won't happen. The last one, and we're going a little long today, so forgive me, but the last one, the the last issue I want to talk about is the unemployment data. We got the December unemployment data on Friday, and in any normal economic time, it would have been fantastic. 220,000 new jobs were created in February. Unemployment rate dropped to 3.5%. Labor force participation actually went up. There's more people being employed in the economy or looking for work. All of that is very good news. But as I've mentioned several times on this podcast, for the last six months or so, good jobs reports have often meant bad news for the market. Any sign that the labor market continued to be tight was considered an indication that the Fed would continue to raise rates. That led to the phrase that I've been often using in this podcast and in our memos, good jobs bad, bad jobs good. But Friday was different. The market loved the good jobs report, and it led to a very positive day in the markets and ultimately a positive first week across the board for the S&P, for the Dow, for the NASDAQ, for the bond market. Everything had a positive week last week. So why is that? Why would things suddenly be so different? Is it New Year's optimism? Everybody are just happy? And hey, good jobs report, good news. Nah, the market's too cynical for that. It had to do with the data on wage growth. Because despite all of the things happening in the labor market, more jobs, lower unemployment, greater labor force participation, despite all of that, wage growth slowed yet again in December, coming in at a year-over-year number of 4.6% or 0.3% month over month. Why is wage growth slowing important? Because if we can continue to decrease wage growth while still keeping up a solid labor market, that's the dream for economists. That is the Goldilocks scenario. It means it might be possible to beat inflation without killing the economy. We are a long ways away from being able to count on that scenario, but it was certainly good news to start the year. So we'll end it there this week. As always, if you have any questions or if I can help in any way, please don't hesitate to give us a call here at the office. We can be reached at 515-273-1333, or you can always visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Securities offered through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.